Thanks, Carrie. <clears throat> Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah, good. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Isaiah tonight, Isaiah 58, and part of the reset model is that we go deeper in God's Word, uh, and we go deeper in relationship. And the way that we do that is that we study a passage in here, and then we'll put a study sheet together, and the leaders will uh, facilitate a, uh, a time where in your group you can go deeper in the Word and have some very practical application. Um, and it's just a, it's been a win-win to this point, but it would be impossible without our leaders. And so so, uh, you know, not all of our reset group leaders are here. Uh, a lot of you are, but all of our leaders, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we're very humbled by your faithfulness. Um, Isaiah 58 might not be a very familiar passage to you all. I've been really marinating in this text, meditating on it, and there's a reason. I, I'm trying to embrace more of kind of who I'm called to be as a servant of Jesus. I'm pretty passionate about restoration. I love restoration in people's lives individually, relationships, uh, different places, the city, um, uh, things like systems. I love restoration of, I guess, nouns, people, places, and things, you know, and I love to see the potential that the gospel gives when we connect people to the power of God for all who believe in the word of God and the fruitfulness that comes from that. There is a freedom that we sang about, a solid foundation, but oftentimes many of us live in fruitless or fearful places that are more fractured than full and more feral than fruitful. And the opportunity that we have is to be grounded in the gospel, to receive the love of God, and to learn to be people who are generous on the one hand moving forward, but grateful as we look back, understanding that we grow when we're grounded in that grace. The opportunity we have for restoration in the gospel is for all who believe. I'm going to ask that you approach this text tonight with an open heart, willing to discover ways that you can unplug from places that you are currently looking for restoration and plug in to the promises, the purposes, the work, and the word of God. So let's read together Isaiah chapter 58. I'm just going to put this on the screen. We're going to read verses 8 to 12. If you could read it out loud with me, that's a little bit of participation together, okay? Then shall your light, when I say out loud together, what I mean is talk, all right? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your real guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Everybody together. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Before we study the word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of the word together and ask for his mercy. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray for your spirit to touch us. We don't just want to be inspired. We truly want to be transformed, restored. Uh, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Anytime you're studying scripture, you want to make sure you understand the context. And this one is a little bit tricky. I know we've got a few uh, Isaiah scholars in our midst, right? You, this is all old school for you. But for the rest of us who are unfamiliar with the uh, second part of Isaiah, the prophecy that he speaks uh, for generations in advance to people who were in exile. Let me give you a little bit of a refresher of context. Historically, God's people were sent into exile. They were away from home. They were isolated from what was familiar. They were uh, needing healing, desperate healing, internally and externally, and they needed hope. They had tremendous questions about the sovereignty of God in living life with unmet expectations, wondering, how did we end up here? And what script, who's the author that put us in this place? Historically, Isaiah is speaking God's word to those people. Theologically, this passage comes in a very significant place. We know from studying scripture all through the Old Testament that God's people were sent into exile because they rejected their relationship with God. They chose from their hearts to worship the gods of their culture. They gave themselves to idols. And in rejecting God, they rejected the covenant. And God had told them, when you reject the covenant, you will experience a curse of the covenant. And we are grateful on this side of the cross that Christ experienced a curse for us so that we can experience all the blessings of the covenant in him. But before Christ came, they were in exile because of their wickedness. And theologically, this section of Isaiah begins to separate two people, two kinds of people. There's no middle ground. There's no third category. There are wicked people, according to Isaiah, and there are redeemed people. These are formerly wicked people who had put their faith in God's provision for salvation. And it's significant that this section of Isaiah centers on how people can move from this place of wickedness into a place of redemption. It centers on this person that is the servant of the Lord. And there's several different servant songs in this part of Isaiah, but Isaiah 52 verse 13 all the way through 53 is the centerpiece of the servant songs. And you can read that later. It's going to be part of your context and it'll be explained in this passage. But you'll see when you read it that almost like the Passover lamb in Egypt, when God's people were in bondage and people had the choice to put their faith in the Passover lamb before they passed out of Egypt. So the suffering servant is that place of faith that leads people to a place of redemption. And he gives the servant a new identity. He was despised and rejected, so we are welcomed and accepted. He was a man of sorrows so that we are in a place of joy and highly regarded in God's eyes, said the passage. He was oppressed so we can be free. He was afflicted so that we can be healed. There's a new identity in the servant when you put your faith in him, but also there's a new strength that is found a strength that sustains through seasons of exile and through living in the frustrations of a fallen world. He bore our grief and carried our sorrows so that people who believe can have hope for tomorrow. This is substantial stuff. He was afflicted so that we could be healed. He was pierced so that we can live. He was crushed so that we can be rebuilt. He was silent like a lamb led to slaughter, says the passage, so that we can hear the love of our Heavenly Father. 
It's powerful. We have a new strength realizing that he took our sin so that we can be forgiven, moving from wickedness to redemption. The point of this whole gospel story that's in scripture is is resurrection, renewal, restoration of what we're going to talk about today. And Isaiah 58 is situated in a way that it will diagnose the empty and evil places of our hearts, but it also, uh, for those that long to be redeemed, it's an invitation for those of us to put faith in the Lord's provision. That's the servant. So if you look at your passage, if you have your Bibles open, you, you see really quick the context of this, pa- of this chapter for our passage. First, uh, we see that, uh, that we're called to declare sin directly in our lives. Like, what is it that makes us wicked? Look at this. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. I don't know what it means to lift up your voice like a trumpet. I've got an eighth, seventh grade son that plays the, the uh, trombone. <laughs> uh, lift up your voice like a trumpet. What are you supposed to say? Declare to my people their sins. To the household of Jacob, declare your people your sins. Look, here's the deal. This is indiscriminate. Everybody has sinned. All of us. And the first step to really being restored is declaring it. But not only that, but it's acknowledging what we see in verses 3 to 5, that our sins can't be covered with religious rags. We are sinful and our religion just doesn't cover it. Verse two, they seek me daily to delight to know my ways as if a nation were righteous. (laughs) They didn't forsake the judgments of their God. They asked me for righteous judgment and they they, uh, act like they delight to draw near to God. Verse three, they say, we fasted. You have not seen it. We've humbled ourselves. You don't take knowledge of it. (laughs) That is a sign that you are wearing religion for show. When you're saying, look what I've done. Haven't you seen it? Don't you think better of me? Religious rags don't cover the filth of our sin. They just can't give us righteousness. And God just condemns it. He says, you're fighting with one another. There's quarreling. You're oppressing one another. There's injustice. This is all ceremony and no substance. Why? Because people haven't put their hearts into it. And so the first step to acknowledging rec- rec- uh, uh, restoration is that really declaring our sin clearly. And secondly, it's diagnosing the, the heart issue that's the problem. Asking the question, who holds our heart? Real quickly, look at verse 6. God says, isn't this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is, this, is it not to share your bread of the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, to cover them, and when you hide your, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Like, isn't it to live a life where you are so grounded in the unconditional love of God that you can't help but to live generously to people, to give freedom as you've been freed? to bring liberation as you've been liberated, this heart posture that is looking back in gratitude for the redemption of the Lord and looking forward in generosity, this is what it's called. And he nails it in verses 13 to 14. This is the end of the context. He says in verse 14, you shall take delight in the Lord. It is this, uh, it is a real relationship that we're called to. In Isaiah 59, 2, it will begin with talking about our sin separating us from God. Our only hope for restoration is the work of the servant. It's his substitutionary work. It's a powerful picture of grace. And in verse 13, talks about the Sabbath. 
being worn as like a symbol, like my wedding ring. You see this symbol and you know that I'm married. My wife sealed her vows to me. And taking the Sabbath is like, I'm going to totally rest in you, God. And I'm going to embody your character. I'm going to be satisfied in you. I'm going to wear it like a symbol. Totally resting in your covenant relationship with me. So this is, this is the context. Uh, and like the Pharisees in Matthew 23, when Jesus condemns them, this is, they were like the people of Israel. He says that you only care about cleaning the outside of your cup. You don't care about the inside of your cup. You're like a grave that's dead all inside, but you're all worried about whitewashing the tomb so you look good on the outside. And the invitation is to acknowledge I'm dead inside and I need redemption. I need renewal. I need forgiveness and putting our faith in the servant who is ultimately and obviously fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He came to be served, not to just, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Pharisees rejected the weightier matters of the law, the heart of the law, Jesus says in Matthew 23. They didn't demonstrate that they understood justice and they didn't show justice. They didn't demonstrate that they knew mercy. They didn't show mercy. They didn't show love. So let's look at the content real quick. Verse eight is where we start. Then, you circle that then. You know why the then is there because of the context. We've got to be honest with our sin. We've got to put faith in the servant. Our need for restoration in returning to the heart of relationship with the Lord. Now listen, I walk with people, a lot of people, and I love it. So many people are self-deceived, really believing that their religious performance and their religious rags can cover the dirtiness of their sin. It might work temporarily with new friends in a new place. It won't work eternally with a God who fully sees you. He demands in being a just God that we wear the righteous garments of the servant who took our sin for us and gives us his righteousness. Then we got to be honest with our sin and the symbols of our faith, especially the cross. Look at what it says. I freaking love this. I love it. Then your light will break forth. <laughs> we like to look forward. The servant points to Christ, obviously, but we've also got to look back. This is, this is a creation motif. And we're going to find that restoration is, is rooted in God's garden design for us. There is a powerful picture of light dawning in darkness. Of light where there was chaos bringing order. And not only that, when we read the other servant songs in Isaiah, Isaiah 49.6 talks about the servant being a light to all the nations. <laughs> it's really powerful. So it's a creation and a redemption theme. Second, healing. Healing will come. Your healing will speed up speedily. <laughs> I love that. It'll spring up speedily. That word for healing, uh, it's a holistic health. It's, a, it's, a, it's God's health. It's God's standard for health. If you've ever had a hurt leg or if you've ever been sick, uh, you, you've longed for health. I, I remember going through a lot of my health stuff uh, a few years ago and you get to a place where you forget what it's like to feel normal <laughs> and, and you long to be health. If you've ever wrestled with mental health stuff or emotional health, physical health, then you long for, I just want to be whole again. I want to feel normal. This is like God's 
holistic health, this healing that springs up speedily. It's what your heart longs for all the time. Jeremiah talks about it in uh, Jeremiah 33, 6, when he talks about, I will bring health and healing speedily, your prosperity and the abundance of your security. Again, that's in the new covenant. But look at this next thing, light, healing, righteousness that goes before you. Uh, Again, this is talking about the servant passage, giving us his righteousness um, so that we can stand before God. And then glory shall be your rear guard. Intentionally, he's using language from the Exodus. You remember that story where God's people were redeemed from slavery? Um, They went out, they left the most powerful nation in the world. They went out into the wilderness, and when it looked like the most powerful person in the world with the most powerful army in the world was going to come up and wallop them, smash them in the desert, crush them for their rebellion and rejection, they had nowhere to turn. They were stuck between the world's most powerful army and the Red Sea, and they were crying out, saying, it would have been better for us to be slaves. What are we doing? We came out here to die. Then God's glory became their rear guard. When everything was tight and there was no hope, pillar of fire came up and divided, protected them, rear guard. They had nothing but security. And then when there was no way in the Red Sea, God made a way because that's what God does for people who trust him. Glory will be your rear guard. God is faithful. But it gets into this rapid fire uh, illustration of what this looks like in real life. And look down at verse nine or just look on the slides. I've got them bullet pointed. You'll call on the Lord and he will answer. You shall cry. He will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wilkiness, I should have stayed in the first part. Listen, there is healing in your relationship with God. I know you. I am you. You long for that restoration of the vertical relationship with God. And you seriously, like me, disqualify yourself from your sin and your failures, the idolatry of your heart. How can a holy and pure God love me? The answer is because of the work of the servant, he took your sin so that when you call, God will answer. That's not like, hey, if you dial the right number, Jesus will answer. That's a promise. Call out to God, he will hear you. Restoration of your vertical relationship with God. He says, here I am. (laughs) I mean, how often? How often do we long to hear that? Here I am. Secondly, verse 10, or at the end of 9b in verse 10, there's healing and restoration in personal relationships. Look at this. He says, um, at the end of verse nine is where I'll start. If you take away the yoke from your midst, appointing a finger, the speaking of weakness, you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy your desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise forth in, dark, uh, in the darkness. There is this, there is this uh, movement from being like this to being like this. Being hard-hearted and combative to being open-hearted, warm, and loving. Isn't that what you want in your relationships? That's what we want in our city. That we don't hoard, that we don't build our empires, that we don't just think of ourselves, (laughs) that we actually are so transformed by the love of God that your burden is significant to me as my own burden. That you're so cared and loved for that your needs are my needs and I'm going to spend myself until you have them. 
how this looks. We all long for this in all of our relationships, whether it's our reset groups or our, 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 uh, our, our workplaces or our marriages or wherever. We long to be in places that aren't like this, but they're like this. And that happens. Real restoration happens when we uncover our sin and don't try to cover ourselves with our righteous rags and we open ourselves to the righteousness of the servant and give ourselves to delight in relationship with the Lord. It's like Matthew 25. Uh, when Jesus is sitting as a son of man on the throne, the picture of judgment at the end, uh, every, the, all the Christians are lined up and he separates the sheep from the goats. And he says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in to the kingdom of heaven. Only those who live open-hearted and open-handed. Only those whose hearts have been softened and show love to the most weak, the most vulnerable, even those in prison, most inconvenient, <laughs> right? It's powerful. In restoration, it restores garden realities. Look at verse 11. This is so amazing. The Lord will guide you continually. He's your shepherd. He will satisfy the desire in scorched places. The Lord will provide all you need. He will make your bones strong. Strength. The Lord is strength. You shall be like a well-watered garden. He's a spring. But not only that, whose waters don't fail. You are springs. <laughs> I got a river of life flowing out of me. Remember that song? Like that happens when Holy Spirit fills his people when we fully trust him for restoration. That's the invitation. Feeling dry, feeling devastated, God wants to give you restoration and turn you into a well-watered, fruitful garden. I love what M Melissa Kruger says about this verse. She's great. Um, she says that when you encounter unexpected scorching in life, when we trust the Lord, it will lead to unexpected satisfaction, unexpected strength, and unexpected refreshment. Why? Not only is there a restoration of God's glorious realities, but verse 12, restoration of God's glorious promises. And just as there was a reference back to the exodus and leaving Egypt and slavery, there is this reference to the promised land. And it, it points us not only back to uh, the land of Canaan, the place of God's covenant promises, but it points us forward further to the new heavens and the new earth. Look what it says. Your ancient ruins shall be re rebuilt. Seriously, you'll be stronger than before. Secondly, it says that you will raise up the foundations of many generations. The foundation will be so solid for you that no matter what storm comes in life, you'll have solid ground. That's what we just talked about. I mean, how many of us have been knocked on our hiney this past year? How many of us long for a solid foundation to stand on? That's the invitation when we delight in the Lord in relationship. And the, the third one, I, f I love this. You will be called a restorer of streets to dwell in. Cities will rejoice. I really believe that this city is going to rejoice when God's people embrace God's design for restoration and we, we return to him and repent even of our righteous rags that we've tried to cover ourselves with. We, we don't want to return to normal. I don't want you to return to normal after this pandemic. I want you to return to better. More of who God made you to be. So here's three quick places of uh, application. When I say three, I mean four. Hang with me. Here's number one. You're not the subject of the story 
and you are not the solution to your own ruin and restoration. We have got to get over ourselves. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it in your own strength. You're not the answer. You've got to turn from yourself and realize that your sin problem is bigger than you can handle. You've got to turn to the Lord. You've got to repent even of your own good works and put faith, lift your eyes to heaven. Second, you've got to dare to delight in the Lord. I know lots of people who are hesitant to trust and really delight in the Lord. And most of that comes because we don't believe we're worthy of being delighted in. We don't believe that the Father looks at us and he loves us, that we're accepted based on the work of the servant and not our own work. Dare to delight in the Lord, rest in his promises and the fullness of Christ. Third, grow in your garden design. Your creator is your redeemer. The Bible teaches he's even your husband. We are his bride. He's the gardener. We're part of the vine. We've got to fast from the empty promises of this world and really feast on God's design for our life. That has to do with your finances, has to do with your dating, has to do with what you're studying or growing, it has to do with your work, has to do with your marriage, has to do with every aspect of your life to grow in God's design. The fourth thing is this, refocus on God's priorities. Refocus. Rebuilding, restoring, solidifying foundations. This is what we're called to do as God's people. The Apostle Paul says it all this way. That we are uh, saved by grace alone, by faith alone, not by work so that no one can boast. It's a free gift of God. For you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. This is the invitation. This is what you're going to talk about in community. And I feel pretty vulnerable tonight because I knew I didn't have enough time to go through everything. I had about three or four illustrations that were, some of them were kind of funny. And I found myself debating over whether or not I wanted to tell funny stories um, and have you like me, or if I really wanted to go through this word and, and just give a Holy Spirit invitation to you and trust this, this word right here. God's word gives you life so much more than you know you even long for. And this is what we want to be about in this place, to grow deeper in our, a delight of the Lord, studying his revealed word, the work of Jesus Christ, and deeper in our relationships with one another. So Maggie's going to come on up here. We're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to uh, close in prayer. Um, as we do, as she comes up here, we're ready for you, Maggie. Were you napping back there? Is that good, huh? Yeah, I won't. Yeah, maybe I should have had a few of those illustrations. I can start telling some of the stories now. Um, but really, uh, we want to invite you to step out of your comfort zone and your, the ways that you've been coping and looking for restoration during this time and trust the relentless promises of God. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Uh, we just thank you for the opportunity to turn from ourselves, to turn from our sin, to turn from our self-righteousness, uh, those good deeds that we've, we've done to cover our own sin and, and even seek to try to impress you, even using you uh, like a vending machine. Father, please forgive us. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our heart and that you would teach us more and more um, of your grace and your love, that you would restore us and renew us with your work. Lord Jesus, Son of David, please speak to us, we pray in your name. Amen.